From regular expenses to occasional splurges, there's a lot to buy. Why not get cash back every time you spend? With the PenFed Power Cash Rewards Card, you get cash back on every purchase. That's everywhere, every time you use it. You can even earn a $100 statement credit when you spend $1,500 in the first 90 days. Visit PenFed.org slash PowerCash to apply. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Okay. Avoid legal snags by telling people they're being recorded. That's what just popped up on my screen. <laughs> Can you imagine? I'm sure some CEO has gotten fucked because of Skype calls. Oh, gotta be. Gotta be. Like if you weren't paying attention, like if you didn't tell me. Yeah. You could have just started recording. Like if I had this phone in my pocket instead. That would have been crazy. <laughs> it's like spy tech. Remember when you were a kid and you would get like a spy spy kits from the fucking dollar store yeah is this the cold open or <laughs> you just leaving this in yeah sure why not what's <laughs> okay. up everybody welcome to radiovania episode number 71 your nerdy public radio for all things entertainment and pop culture my name is zach, zach rotello at zach rotello on twitter and sitting <laughs> a few hundred miles away from me how many miles is it from here to cuyahoga valley oh um like it's like 160, right? 200? No, like yeah, it's like 200 something. Well, sitting over there in some chair in his place in Cuyahoga is John Swansong Parker. Long have I waited, and now <laughs> we're recording a podcast. The Dead Speak. The Dead Speak. Well, yes, yeah. The show has been dead, and now it speaks. It's back. Yeah, uh, this is a first show that we've recorded since, I believe, August of 2019. Does that sound right to you? Um, yeah, I think th I think that's right. Okay. Well, either way, it's been a long time. The last episode we did was our Once Upon a Time in Hollywood review. So, um, yeah, that would have been August. Okay. So, it's been a minute. We uh, sincerely apologize that... It's been so long since you've gotten a little dose of Zach and John in your ears, but we're back. Um, there's just been a lot of stuff that's happened between August and now, which is January of 2020. Um, some stuff that we felt that it was uh, about time that we, you know, saddled up the old horses, put on a little old town road, and uh, you know, discussed what needs discussing. You know what I mean, John? Yes. Um, so yeah. If you've never listened to an episode of the show before, it's going to be very simple. It's just John and I talk about, you know, what we like to talk about. Kind of just, you know, hash out all the opinions and, uh, you know, we might read a little news article here and there, discuss what's going on in old Hollywood land, all pop culture city. And uh, yeah, so we, on the show today, we're going to be talking all sorts of Star Wars. That'll be the big topic of the show. Stick tuned toward the end for all of that. Uh, Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, Jedi Fallen Order, The Mandalorian, all of that goodness. Uh, but first, we're going to talk about a little um, Joker and a little Watchmen, because those came out in the time that uh, we've been gone. Yeah, two pretty big comic book-based things that we we both saw. We saw one of them together. We went and saw Joker together, uh, but we never got the chance to review it on the show. Um yeah. And they were both two things that I think I could probably strongly say that you and I both fairly enjoyed. So. I think so. Um, 
very strongly for one of them, strongly mm-hmm. for another. But, but otherwise, it's been, I mean, it's been a heck of a winter season for, you know, shit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. I mean, kind of just back to back to back a lot of stuff. I've caught up on a lot of movies in the last month or two, and uh, I'm excited to air some stuff out with you. You know, let's start it out with John. What have you been watching, playing, or doing recently? Let's do a little catch up. Uh, so we finished Mandalorian and Watchmen probably about a couple weeks ago. Uh, I've been watching Mandalorian weekly, and then I binged Watchmen. Um, I haven't nice. been playing anything since I finished Fallen Order except for Frogger at the arcade bars. Um, nice, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, watch, uh, let's see, you already asked me about watching. Um, that's about it. About it? Yeah. Um, well, it's been heavy, it's been busy. like I said. Yeah. yeah, it's been a busy season for both of us. Um, but, yeah, for me, for me, I've caught up on a lot of, since, you know, I work in retail, and so during the holiday season, I have zero free time to do any sort of, you know, stuff that I like to do. So once the new year was, you know, over, I I picked up all the games that I had been wanting to catch up. So I finished Death Stranding the new Hideo Kojima game. I finished Jedi Fallen Order, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And uh, right now I am on level five or level six of Luigi's Mansion 3. Oh, um, do you like it? I'm thoroughly, thoroughly enjoying it so far. It's very funny. Like, uh, yeah, they stepped up the comedy chops for this one. Good. Um, I love Luigi's Mansion. It's a good time. Yeah. It's very cute, and especially since the I didn't play Dark Moon, so the last Luigi's Mansion game that I played was back on GameCube. So, as you can imagine, a noticeable jump in all-around visuals <laughs> for that. Uh, it looks spectacular, like the cartoony style. It's just, it's very endearing. Like, it's a very, after playing two very serious games with Death Stranding and Jedi, this was really nice to have, like, kind of just a more chill and relaxing thing. Yeah. Um, well, that's awesome. Yeah, enjoying it very much. But so let's get into... You, uh, yeah, yeah, what do you want to talk about first? Well, I maybe I think it's smart. We can also double, you know, sandwich this into the conversation. But uh, the now Oscar-nominated Joker, <laughs> yeah, um, nominated for Best Picture, right, as well as a yeah. bunch of other things like director and actor and um, yes, probably like costumes and stuff and cinematography. Yeah. I think it's though they said it at like eleven, so it's like that's pretty much the full gauntlet yeah joker received the most nominations with 11 um including best picture actor in a leading role and directing um which is kind of insane like i expected it to you know get into the conversation but i didn't necessarily expect it to kind of sweep like this not sweep Mm -hmm. in terms of it winning but it's in every single category which is pretty pretty nuts almost every category yeah no Um, actress or supporting yeah, but all and, the things uh, that the film can be nominated for and the director. Right. Yeah, and uh, yeah, not surprisingly, this has gotten a fair bit of divisive reactions online. Uh, a lot of people, you know, Joker was one of those movies that I think was, you know, a, a lot of critics really enjoyed it. A lot of critics didn't enjoy it. Found it very derivative, and fan reactions were basically all around positive, or at least most fan reactions were positive, but. The fact that it's now sweeping the award, like it's getting all these award nominations, like it's up against films like, 
you know, <laughs> I'm just going to read off a few of these, like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and The Irishman, uh, the Martin Scorsese joint, Marriage Story, the the serious acting drama, uh, The Lighthouse is up in this, like 1917, like all these, it's in the same echelon as a lot of these more, I don't want to say well-regarded, but definitely more critical darling films. Right. Um, Big win for Warner Brothers, though. Yeah, seriously. Um, kind of a success story. I really hope that, I mean, I, I was lukewarm on that Birds of Prey trailer. I don't know how you felt about it. We didn't really, did we, have we talked about that yet? No, I don't think so. I think I yeah. sent it to you. Yeah. It looks fine. Um, it looks fine. I, I was hoping that Joker would be like, they'd see that and be like, oh, okay. This is a direction that we can take, but Birds of Prey really does feel like a Suicide Squad 2, and I'm not really feeling that right now. I, yeah. I kind of wanted them to do a little bit more. Like we talked about character study stuff. I think would be interesting. But. Hopefully we get that with the Batman. We will see. Time Even will tell. They're casting every villain in the Batman <laughs> universe. Yeah. I it's going to be the long Halloween. I feel like it. Uh, I think it's going to be Arkham Asylum. I would be okay with that. I mean, as long as they yeah. don't spend too much time on each individual person, I feel like that's probably the safest bet for them. Well, have you read the Arkham Asylum novel? Not not play. I mean, I know you played the game, but the novel yeah. Arkham Asylum. No, I've only ever played the I've only ever played the games, so I don't have much knowledge on the okay. the backstory there. He's kind of working his way through the asylum, running into everybody. But you know okay. how like the game, like the main villain is the Joker that you're trying to get to at the end. He's like the final boss. Um, right. The Joker is also one of the supporting people in the book. So like the main thing is just him surviving his own sanity while he's there. Okay. Yeah. So like you can have the Joker and Two Face and Penguin and stuff like that, but none of them are like running. There, there's like no one main antagonist. You know what I mean? And the antagonist is the the demons within, which would be kind of cool as a character. Based. Yeah, I know I like that concept quite a bit. It just is interesting to me because, you know, Matt Reeves has said that he wants to sign on. The, the, the rumor was is that he signed on to make a new trilogy, and it seems like this is an interesting place to start. Well, maybe he has to cast everyone in the trilogy now, and that's the news that we're getting. Yeah, maybe. It just seems weird that they would do the ca- those casting calls. Like how I was like how early did Chris Nolan cast Ledger for Dark Knight? I don't remember. Well, it probably wasn't for Batman Begins. So no, that's but good point. we are in a different time. He also didn't know he was going to make a trilogy for that though. They yeah. weren't just handing out trilogies like they are now. Yeah. But it was funny, like Warner Brothers made him put – I think the story is that Christopher Nolan hated the fact that they made him put the card scene in at the end. Yeah. But they made him do that just to set up a sequel. Right. So. I like that. But scene. anyway, Joker, uh, directed Joker. by – I'm the Joker, baby. <laughs> do you want to know how I got these scars? <laughs> uh, yeah, the best inside joke that never got to make the air of uh, Radio Vania Waves, but that video is excellent. Go watch I'm the Joker Baby on YouTube. That's basically... It's actually better than the Joker movie. <laughs> it should have been Oscar nominated, let's be real. Yeah, yeah for uh, video shorts. 
No, so Joker. Uh, yeah, is- directed by directed by Todd Phillips. Um, budget of fifty five million dollars. Released on October fourth, twenty nineteen. Uh, rated R and a running time of two hours and two minutes. And um, worldwide box office of one billion with a B. Uh, one point sixty nine billion. Sixty nine billion. Nice. <laughs> nice, Joker. Nice. Um, uh, John, what'd you? Think? I like this movie. I think it's cool. The one of the more interesting things about the Joker as a character throughout history has been that he is a unreliable narrator of his own story. Uh, Christopher right. Nolan kind of touches on this in The Dark Knight, where you know Heath Ledger's Joker is kind of telling different people how he got his scars, and that's kind of an interpretation of. You know, just how in the comics there have been multiple ways that he's kind of had an origin story. So, like, Alan Moore famously tackled it in The Killing Joke, and that's usually everyone's favorite. It's my favorite as well. However, that book also kind of stands alone, so that doesn't necessarily mean that any of these particular stories are canon. Um, which I really like because Todd Phillips comes in, he's like, hey, I wanna, I'm a big fan of Martin Scorsese. He's like, I wanna make a crime drama set in the, the Gotham DC universe about Joker, but it's a little bit different because, you know, the thing about Arthur Fleck um, is that this Joker isn't necessarily a criminal mastermind. Uh, I was talking to my cousin Kaylee. I was like, if this if this Joker went up against any any iteration of Batman, I think Batman would just absolutely wreck him. Like in a, Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, he is not necessarily... Um, scheming like Heath Ledger or Jack Nicholson or anything like that. If anything, he's just like pure cunning, you know, like he's like a, he's like an otter. He's like really slippery. You can't really <laughs> catch on to him or anything like that. Um, but he just kind of bumbles his way through the movie and bad things happen to him. And then he does bad things. And, you know, it makes for a really good, interesting take on the character, yeah. um, which is really cool and refreshing that we can have stories like that. And I think the grittiness of it is what caused it to make so much money. People really like their dark comic book or raunchy comic book adaptations right now, like your Deadpools and your Logans and right. now your Joker and potentially Birds of Prey. We'll see how that goes, if that's more of a comedy-based thing, which it looks like it will be. Um, that's also rated R. Did you see that? Um that which one was rated R? Sorry, Birds of Prey is going to be rated R. Yeah, I, so I saw that they they I think I saw that they announced that, but I didn't think too much of it because that trailer looks very that trailer looks very PG thirteen. Like I said before, it looks like a sequel to Suicide Squad. Like it's had yeah, that same. I think vibe. there's going to be like a lot of like f bombs and stuff. You know what I mean? I bet you it'll be very violent and profound language. But just let you and McGregor cuss up a storm. I'm into it. Get some train <laughs> spotting going. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. Joker is an interesting bat. Um, I, I, I think an interesting thing to talk about is the fact that, and full spoilers also, you've had time to see the movie, by the way, all those people out there in the, in the spoiler world. Um, you know, this Joker is more like, it's like the setting up to be like a kingpin sort of Joker. Like the whole ending scene in my in my viewing, like 
it just kind of it shows that you know he's gaining this legion of following that maybe the Joker doesn't have to do all the dirty work himself. Like he's kind of more of an icon than an actual like criminal. Because um, at the very end of the movie, it's like this whole crowd of people that are just violently looting and raiding the entire streets of Gotham and murdering people. They're all wearing the clown masks and they're all like looking up to this symbol for them of like of you know standing up standing up to the 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 big top cats the people that are running the show and yeah so yeah i don't think that this joker fits really into i mean we don't know what matt reeves batman movie is really going to look like or feel like but um there's already rumors that they're doing a second one a second joker (sighs) no um leave it alone (laughs) it made over a billion dollars i think that you know warner brothers this is warner brothers problem yeah it's the same thing with like aquaman made a billion dollars and they're like let's make an aquaman sequel and a a series about the trench and uh a julie andrews movie and you know what i mean it's just like right sometimes you capture lightning in a bottle just leave it yeah this is one thing that i've actually i'm sure the sequel if they if they work on it and todd phillips is doing it again could be interesting um but until I actually see it, I'm against sequelizing this movie. Yeah. Because I think um, it ends in a way that's like, you know, like full spoilers again. Like it, it ends with the creation of Batman. Mm-hmm. And this Joker is like, I don't know, he's probably already like 40 years old. You know, so by the time yeah. Bruce Wayne becomes Batman, that puts Joaquin Phoenix's Joker in his 60s. So if you do a sequel to this movie, you can't really base it on Batman because I don't think that makes a whole lot of sense. Not to sound like an ageist or anything like that, but you can't have them really fighting in a physical matchup. Um, so I don't really yeah. know. Yeah, the rumor right now is that Hollywood Reporter has info that Phillips isn't talk to reprise as a director, but they're unsure if Joaquin Phoenix will return. So they're not it. I think that if they, if they're doing a sequel to this, it might just be, I don't read this as necessarily like what happens next to Joaquin Phoenix's Joker character, but possibly they might just be like, this reads to me as a rumor of they want Todd Phillips to do another one of these elseworld tales. Do you know what oh, I mean? Yeah. So what there's like no, well, like we said on the phone a week or two ago when we were joking about it, I think I think there is room to do like a crime movie about Gotham, like uh, like a Falcone kind of deal. Like I think I think that could be interesting, like and also, you know, separated enough from, you know, these big budget, you know, the Batmans and the. And and the Aquaman's and everything. If you could do a smaller story, but yet still involve the world of Gotham and the world of the DC universe, like I think that could play really well to Todd Phillips' strength. Um, but I don't know. I think there's there's a lot. I think there's opportunity for these kind of movies to be successful, um, and it doesn't just have to be like one of the most iconic fictional characters of the Joker. Like I think you could. You can entice audiences with a similarly toned story, but about a different character or a different time in in Gotham City. Cool. 
But I don't know. What would you want to see? Um, I would want to see a detective noir-esque crime thing as well involving the mob. Uh, but yeah. I want it to center around um, the GCPD. So like, maybe it picks up after Joker, but Bruce mm-hmm. Wayne's still like a teenager. So this just kind of focuses on like a younger Commissioner Gordon and a younger like Harvey Bullock and uh, yeah, and kind of like their it's like a buddy cop but not like a buddy cop comedy just like it's like american gangster almost or something um that would be kind of well i was gonna say yeah i was gonna say like something with it's it's a it's a shame that that tv show gotham is like a thing you know (laughs) because that would be a slam dunk for a movie but it's a little too close to the vest yeah that's true yeah i don't know maybe people have already uh, forgotten about that do a danny devito penguin movie i'm in i'm 100 percent in yeah. Uh, just forgive me. Does he die at the end of Batman Returns? Oh yeah, <laughs> big time. Okay. In every Tim Burton Batman movie, like all the villains die. That was their problem. Is Bruce Wayne's a murderer in those? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Michael Keaton the murderer. Well, maybe yep. they could find a way to retcon Penguin's death and still have that. You know, bring back Danny DeVito because I don't. I think he's too old now to do like young Penguin. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. Or you could do some digital de aging. I guess, like the Irishman. Yeah. (laughs) But it's it's just called like Cobblepot. (laughs) Um. Honestly, if you could get super weird with that, I'd be down. But he probably could. Yeah. Whatever whatever DC movie he does next, if they're able to retain Todd Phillips, though, it'll probably have Bradley Cooper in it because those guys are buddies. Mm. Bradley Cooper was a producer for The Joker, so if he wins the Oscar, he's going to really? win. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, Todd Phillips um, directed him in the Hangover movies. Yep. And that's where they met, and they became really good friends. And then Bradley brought him on as a producer for A Star is Born. And he brought Bradley on as a producer for the Joker. Hmm. So, uh, Bradley yeah, Cooper I don't know. As Harvey Dent, make it happen. I can see it. He'd be um, really good. He'd be really good. I don't know if you it's easy to get Aaron Eckhart, but <laughs> what did Aaron Eckhart, man? What an actor that doesn't do a whole lot of anything. You know, dude, what I, mean? I don't care. He's really good as Harvey Dent. He is a great Harvey Dent, but yeah, that is like yeah. a. That is like a how did he not get nominated as a supporting actor? And then you're like, oh, wait, the Joker. <laughs> yep. Yeah. You can only have one. Not if you're the um, Irishman. You can have two. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Times they are changing, though. Or did you ever have you ever looked back? The Godfather had like <laughs> four out of five supporting actors nominated. So they were all like fighting them in the parking lot. They're like, no, I'm going to win. No, I'm going to win. Yeah essentially uh, but yeah All it's right, easy to get Watchmen? yeah we got lost we got lost there in the sh- in the shuffle of like because the movie's been joker's been out for so long so we've had a lot of time to digest it so that's yeah. uh, th- this wasn't like a really like you know had we reviewed this right after seeing it we probably would have had more to say about the plot and the yeah. characters and the, what the sh- what the movie has to say but just to concisely wrap up my thoughts on the movie after having a few months to digest it and after seeing it for a second time um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I do think that, you know, the criticisms of it being derivative are definitely apt because 
you know, it does play off of a lot of classic, you know, films like Taxi Driver and The King of Comedy. And I think that those, they paid homage in the right ways. And I don't think that they relied too heavily on them to where I didn't, wasn't invested in the story. Um, my sentiment leaving Joker for the first time was I was like, they did something really unique with the story that I didn't expect where, you know, Heath Ledger's Joker is the, is the Joker that you, you know, love to hate because he's so anarchistic and crazy and funny in so many ways. But then Arthur Fleck as a character is incredibly depressing. And so it's like, you love to hate Heath Ledger's Joker, but Joaquin Phoenix's Joker, you hate that you love because you're like conflicted because he's doing these despicable things, but you're also kind of like empathizing for him. And I think the fact that they were able to pull that off is kind of a huge accomplishment for such a, for such a, you know, well-renowned and beloved character yeah. as the Joker is. So mm-hmm. uh, excellent film. I'm, ex- I'm interested to see, you know, after the Oscars, which, uh, you know, maybe we get back on the, now that we know how to do airwave shows, we can uh, maybe do an Oscars cast. Cause I'd yeah. be curious to see what the reaction is if that movie wins some of those high up awards. All right. I'm going to put you on the spot real quick. Put me on the spot. Rank your jokers. Give me your, give me your top five. Uh, I still think that in order, I still think performance alone, Heath Ledger's Joker is just, that's like a time and a place. And I think that it's scratched an itch that I don't know if they'll ever manage to do again. Like it was just the perfect culmination of actor, writing, directing, story. It was the perfect storm. And so I think that, you know, as much as I love Mark Hamill's Joker, who's a close, who's a close second or third, although it's like, you know, personally, I, I just, I, I like the films more than I, I, I didn't grow up watching all of BTOS like you did. So, um, I just love Mark Hamill's Joker as like a, as a pop culture icon, but you know, ranking alone, I'd go Heath Ledger, then Joaquin, and then probably, you know, I, you know, I don't know, man, Heath Ledger, (laughs) maybe, maybe, uh, maybe then Mark Hamill because of the Arkham games also. And then I'd put, sadly to say it, uh, Jack Torrance in the last place spot there. Where's Leto? Oh, fuck. Yeah. Him below that. (laughs) Him at the very last, Leto at last place. And then Jack Nicholson right above him. Okay. I think I'm going to go, I would go probably Mark Hamill, Heath Ledger, Joaquin, Jack Nicholson, a big old pile of shit, and then Jared Leto. (laughs) Speaking of Jared Leto, did you watch that dank-ass Morbius trailer? (laughs) That movie looks like dog shit. (laughs) Horse shit. Absolute horse shit. That movie's going to suck so hard, man. Mm -hmm. Like. there's a scene in that where they have a hallway shot where it's like the only action sequence in the entire trailer. And it's Jared Leto hopping between places like Nightcrawler and X2. (laughs) And it just looks like it looks like straight out of 2002. The comments for that trailer on YouTube are pretty funny. You should take a dive on that later. Yeah. They're like, (laughs) it's like uh, Sony or it's like the production studio talking to Sony. It's like, how much blue do you want it tinted? (laughs) <laughs> on all the shots and it just says sony yes <laughs> yes 
I, my uh, favorite part of the trailer was when it was from the studio that brought you Spider-Man Homecoming, Spider-Man Far From Home, and then Venom. Venom. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, one of the three of those is right, and the other two are not right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you may have, you may have been the studio, but holy cow. Yep. You did not. You are not responsible for Tom Holland Spider-Man. No. Um, um, okay. Well, let's well, talk about that something that doesn't suck. Joker. Yeah. Um, I think so. Let's talk about Watchmen. Watchmen. Yeah. Maybe the best television show of the last decade. Maybe. Maybe. They really Maybe. finished out twenty the twenty tens with a good one. Yeah. Um yeah, Watchmen uh divided up into how many episodes it was eight or nine? It was nine. eight episodes? Nine. It was nine episodes, and the season finale reached a season high viewership of one point six million viewers. Um which was up 19% from the last episode before that, which is, it's interesting. This, this show hasn't been doing like spectacularly ratings wise, but it's like a critical darling. Um, and quite, I would say still fairly divisive amongst fans. Like, um, right now on Rotten Tomatoes, Watchmen sits at a 96% critic score and a 54% audience score. Which is quite the disparity, right? Um, but yeah, John, what did you think of of Watchmen? What's your review? Um, I really enjoy Watchmen. Uh, I think it's a fantastic show on its own as a television show, but I also think it's probably one of the best sequels of all time to be able to sequelize the Watchmen graphic novel. Right. Um, I unpopularly potentially do not really like the Zack Snyder movie. Um, so this is the only type of other adaptation besides the graphic novel that I think I would really acknowledge. Um, I think the Watchmen book is a perfect piece of American literature, um, or or English literature, I should say, sorry. Um, and I think this television show is, is so groundbreaking in regards to storytelling and, and choices that they made as well as like controversial things that they touched on. But they were still able to like weave in enough of the classic Watchmen, both characters and or like story bits and things to play off of that it just I don't know, it just was fantastic through and through. Right. Um, introduced some really great new characters mm-hmm. as well. Um, yeah, I think it's it's pretty much a perfect television show. And the fact that which you talked you know about to me right before we started recording the fact that this is the only season that we'll get of it means that through and through we can say that it was a perfect television show unlike things like game of thrones and and stuff like that uh yeah that's the big the big story it it actually just broke today is uh that lindelof has exited has exited hbo's watchmen definitively is the wording that they decided to use said he has no interest in a second season but he has given his HBO, quote, my blessing to continue on with someone else. Um, so it sounds like HBO is just closing the book on this one for now. Uh, I don't, I obviously, yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I, I can see a, a reality in which a second season is done well, um, as much it's just it's hard because like as much as i think that you know watchmen as a tv series a limited run series is basically perfect there's very few criticisms that i have for it 
I think that, you know, the fan inside of me really wants to see where else they can take the universe because they did it so smartly. But my biggest, my biggest thing, thing about Watchmen is that I can't believe that they did it this well because there are so many ways they could have messed this up. Um, they could have, I mean, obviously there's, there's always going to be fans out there that are upset, but it seems to me the majority of people that I've talked to that have watched the show that also really love the comic are very pleasantly surprised with the direction that they took legacy characters from the original comic book and also took these new characters and, you know, messing around with people that, you know, messing around with characters and, and, you know, storylines that were for all intents and purposes already closed. Those chapters were already closed for those characters. Continuing the storylines is, you know, so I think some people would call that sacrilege. And, right. And the, well, we'll talk about this a little later on, but like, that's kind of the thing that like Watchmen was able to do so well to the point that it's pretty pleasing for all of those characters that they continue the story for. In yeah. ways that I think somehow Disney didn't quite be wasn't quite able to do as much for like their Star Wars characters, you know what I mean? Like there's a argument to be made that potentially the the stories of Leia, Luke, and Han should have just been left alone um, mm. in terms of how they're handled occasionally. But that's you know that's some people's opinion. We'll we'll talk sure. about that. I'm sure when we get there. But yeah, just as for argument's sake, I think this one is pretty much like no complaints at all that I can see. Yeah. I mean, like I can see, you know, there's a couple acting choices in the, in the show that are not like a hundred percent all the way there. Um, but all the main characters I think are, are excellently played. I think Regina King like leads the show in such a spectacular fashion. Like she was riveting to watch anytime she's on screen and giving dialogue. She's, she's like, she's your guy, you know, she's your gal. She's mm-hmm. that, She's the fucking she's the bee's knees and she and it's like they weren't shy about letting her have just a plethora of awesome moments. And um, I can't ever I can't remember exactly which episode is, but uh, an extraordinary being or whatever that one's called the the episode that we both think is the best of the season. Yeah. Chapter um, six. Yeah. They let her you know, they let her participate in that episode in like a very subdued fashion, but even in the brief moments that she's on screen for that episode is like, you're still like drawn to her character. And I think that that's, that's pretty compelling given that she's a brand new, brand new character. Like Mm -hmm. there's no, there's nothing about sister Knight in, in the Watchmen comics or any expanded universe. Correct. Mm hmm. Okay. Um, at least to my knowledge, but yeah, I've read that book a couple of times and I know like the one that is, is hooded justice, which they, Oh yeah. They, di- they dive into in the minute men and stuff like that, which is cool. And they, they dive into that in that episode. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah spoiler, spoilers for Watchmen for the next few minutes. Um, as we finish this wrap up of the discussion of the season, but yeah. Um, the Watchmen TV series is kind of like a stealth sequel specifically about the legacy of hooded justice who's a character that wasn't like super beloved in the original comic but that they built on so that now people well it's not that he wasn't beloved he just didn't have anything to to do in the the comic you know so like the Watchmen graphic novel is about these characters who live in the 80s who are 
distant relatives or friends of the original Minutemen, which is supposed to be a parody of the Justice Society of America, which is a DC Comics property of superhero team that was created during World War II. Um, right. And that's that's who they are supposed to be. And then the Watchmen, who are the characters that we follow in the Watchmen book, are supposed to be like really fucked up versions of the Justice League, right? So like, yeah, Alan Moore's take is like, what if Superman took his godlike abilities to the next level? What would he be? He'd be Doctor Manhattan. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, so yeah, Hoda Justice is like a background player. And Damon Lindelof, we know, loves Easter eggs um, from his time on Lost and other shows like that. And seeing him pull that and, and flesh it out into its own season of television is really cool. Yeah. And that's my, you know, one of my favorite things about this the season, and which is why I really got hooked from the first few episodes, is that um, I think that the show does a really good job of not treating its audience like babies. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't really, ex- it doesn't explain everything. It kind of doles out its information over time. And I think that that's probably like very jarring for casual viewers, which is maybe why it's not getting fabulous ratings and maybe the audience score is particularly low, but not to say that the average viewers are idiots, but like, I really enjoyed that the first episode kind of throws you into this world and doesn't like there, there's basically no ties to the Watchmen comic in that first episode. Like it's all introducing new characters and then slowly over the course of the show, things start to become more connected. And I think that serves to the the strength of the narrative so well, because, you know, it's okay to not know everything. It's okay to, to be a little confused. Like, you don't need to be you don't need to be given the answers to your questions right after another, like one after another. I think that, you know, the fact that they trusted the audience to be along for this crazy, weird, sometimes very confusing ride is really a testament to the writing. And I, I think that they just knocked it out of the park in that respect. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, I think it's but a yeah. good show. I don't I mean, I think there's a lot of people that still haven't seen it yet. Sure. Um, so I don't want to dive into all the spoilers, you know, like mm-hmm. I think, I think we've done a pretty good spoiler free type stuff. Um, so maybe we should leave it that way, but I would love to maybe even just have a whole episode where we can just go episode by episode and talk about it sometime. Watchmen cast. Yeah, dude. Sounds like a plan to me. Yeah. We're the big, big Lindelof fans over here. Apparently <laughs> we have to yeah. do whole episodes on his stuff. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. Shout out Lindelof. We'll get you on the show sometime. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, also so, yeah. if you're, if you finished watching Watchmen and you're hankering for a Damon Lindelof project again, or something similar to it, I highly, highly <laughs> sure <laughs> you can go back and watch Lost. but I also recommend that y'all check out the leftovers HBO's the mm-hmm. leftovers. Uh, he directed and was the showrunner for the three seasons that it was on. Another one of those, like, it didn't get, like, fantastic ratings or viewings, but um, a really, really excellent show. And uh, it's, like, it's kind of, like, you, you can feel a lot of influence to what Damon Lindelof brought to Watchmen, but it's a lot more cerebral and dramatic. It's not necessarily as action-packed or intrigue. It's a lot of characters talking. It's a drama at heart, but it's a very well-made piece of television. Cool. And also Lost, I guess. Yeah. yeah. For seasons uh, one through three. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stop. Stop at the stop when they start doing time travel shit. Mm-hmm. Or you could watch a little bit for Lapidus or whatever his name is. Actually, uh, yeah, maybe stop after season four. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta get some Lapidus uh, in there and no. Charles Faraday. Hell yeah, dude. His name is Daniel Faraday. Daniel everything, Faraday. Everything happens for a reason. <laughs> They made him wear that. And... They made him wear that fucking bandage on his head for a whole season. <laughs> I know it's. Oh my goodness, what a character! Um, <laughs> yes. So now, is it time to switch over to Star Wars gear? Are there any other big pieces of info that you wanted to discuss? But while not until you dive into Star not Wars? until you catch up on Gideon Falls. Yeah. Gideon Falls would be a good one. Um, yeah. Tiny little blurb of news is that uh, uh, in the video game world, the biggest piece of news to happen in the last few weeks is that uh, PlayStation officially announced that they're not participating at E3 again this year, <laughs> second in a row. <laughs> they're like, we're fine. <laughs> <laughs> we, we out, brother. Yeah, um, they're like, yeah. they're like, we're gonna start. I, I can't. Only imagine it's going to be a matter of time before they start something like D23. Yeah, I think, I mean, they had PSX. It was called PlayStation Experience. Mm-hmm. They haven't done that for the last few years either, but it's kind of a weird move. Like, I think that Sony's presence at game conferences were, was always, like, really, like, warmly invited because they always have really entertaining shows. Um and apparently, the C- one of the CEOs of PlayStation or one of the directives over there just tweeted out today, like, to all the people upset about us not being at E3, they're like, the PS5 reveal, like the official reveal, is happening in the next month. So, hmm. that's cool. You can expect, I guess, what we can see what it looks like, what the price is, all that stuff. But it, it's definitely sad because I love E3 and, you know, have, not having Sony makes it a little bit sad for me. Oh, you know what we didn't talk about, I don't think? What's that? I think since the last time we recorded a show, they dropped the story trailer for the last of us part two, the most anticipated thing of 2020 trailer. Yeah, dude. Joel be back. (laughs) (laughs) Think I was going to let you go alone. You think I was going to let you go alone. Yeah. The thing is, is that the sad thing is, is in a month we should have been playing this game. Yeah. So, yep. But, uh, nevertheless, May, right? May. Okay. The worst time for a video game that I really want to play to come out is in the summer. So yeah. I'll have to make time. But very excited. Um, we'll talk more about that at a later date, I'm sure. Because oh, I can yeah. talk a whole show about that. Yeah, I think a Last of Us cast will be in order come May. Like once we both beat the game, we'll just do like a two-hour-long show. Two. Yeah. yeah, four we'll hours. A box of tish- we'll get a box of tissues out. We'll- yeah. yeah. For crying and coming. <laughs> Little in fact, that was going to be the name of our podcast before we decided on radio. It's more family friendly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, is it time to put it into hyperdrive and go into Star Wars land? Yeah, I think so. I was, right. gonna, I was trying to think of another uh, good segue with Emperor Palpatine, and I couldn't think of a, a quote off the time to the spot. Ooh, I actually know what you could talk about for a second while while I'm pulling up the box office and stuff for all the Star Wars stuff that's coming out these days. Yeah. Uh, give us a little rundown of uh, 
Star Wars theme park? What's it called? Galaxy's Galaxy's Edge? Galaxy's Edge, yeah. Uh, So I went to Galaxy's Edge over the Thanksgiving break with my family. Shout out to the Parker family. Um, And it is really cool, man. It is a fun experience to go there. There's not a whole lot of rides. When we went, the Falcon was the only ride that was open. Uh, But since then, Rise of the Resistance has opened, so now there's two. Um, However, given the fact that it's a very popular place, waiting in line for those rides does take up a large portion of, of time. Um, how long were you at the park? We were at the park all day, but we did not stay in Galaxy's Edge all day. We went and rode Rock and Roller Coaster and went to the Toy Story section and stuff and uh, nice. and came back. So we staggered our activities. So we got there early in the morning, rode the Millennium Falcon, um, walked around at the shops and, and went to the cantina for a minute. But then we also had reservations for the cantina for later. Uh, so then we did that. And then around lunchtime, we went and did some of the other rides. And then about mid-afternoon point, we came back, and I did the lightsaber building experience, which is amazing, as well as the droid building experience. And then we ended our day um, doing single rider for the Falcon, which was a little bit short of a line, and then going to the cantina again, and then heading home. Um, It's interesting having it set between episodes eight and nine, so we'll see narrative-wise how the park evolves after Rise of Skywalker. Um, but that being said, having it set in that one time frame, if you're in that frame of mind while you're there, it's really cool to see Kylo Ren and, and Ray and Chewbacca walking around and, mm-hmm. um, you know, just seeing the Falcon in a life-size model is, is really cool, which as in parts of, you know, pop culture fans, like if, unless we worked on those movies, we probably wouldn't see a life-size diorama as good as this one. So, right. Really cool. Two thumbs up. It's a good time. Um, yeah, but prepare to stand around waiting lines. It gets busy. Well, at least you know that's something that Disney parks you know excel at. In my you know from what I hear is that you know even when you're waiting in line, you still have cool stuff to look at. So this is true. You feel this like you're part, in like a different world. So that's part of the experience is you know being in being in that space and seeing the architecture, seeing all the work that they've put in. Yeah, and like. The thing that's cool is like unlike Harry Potter World where they play all the John Williams music at Star Wars World, they actually don't at Galaxy's Edge. They want it to be so immersive that it sounds like you're at a spaceport. So instead, there's just like all this like white noise going on around with like ships flying overhead and like maybe like people hustling and bustling and speeders and all that kind of stuff. And uh, it's cool. It's very cool. Right. Uh, All right. Well. I'm excited to visit Galaxy's Edge, but in the meantime, John, we've got so much Star Wars to be entertained at your at your home and at your theater, at your local cinema, and uh, now on your streaming services with Disney+. Plus. So my question to you is we got three things to talk about. Episode mm-hmm. 9, Fallen Order, and Mandalorian, and which one do you want to start with first? Let's do the Mandalorian first. Okay. So let's the Mandalorian. End with, let's end with episode nine. Does that sound good? All right. Yeah. Sounds good to me. Um, yeah. The Mandalorian, season one. Uh, they greenlit HBO's a season two. Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah. They already greenlit a season they two. They greenlit season two before season one even came out. So. Yeah. Um, it was the the hallmark flagship, whatever you want to call it, TV series. For Disney Plus, Disney's first streaming service, um, which is raising stock prices like a flagpole, mm-hmm. 
we're sitting at a 95% on Rotten Tomatoes right now with a 93% audience score for mm-hmm. this, the entire season one. Uh, it has how many episodes? Eight, Eight episodes? Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. Hit me with that, John. What did you think of the Disney? Baby uh, Yoda. <laughs> I can't even get it out. Baby Yoda, dude. Yeah. Um, Hashtag Yiddle. Talk about the greatest kept secret of all yeah. time. <laughs> uh, so of all in all, I really enjoy the show. I think it's a fun season television. Um, the episodes aren't very long. They're about half an hour. However, I think, you know, a majority of the season has a really cool storyline. It's very simple. It's, you know, it's like Lone Wolf and Cub, like The Last of Us, like Logan. It's some type of grizzled figure taking care of something younger who is innocent and not part of the world and having to experience that together. Right. Um, and then you have three episodes in the middle that are just complete, like, video game side quests that don't really connect to the overall story. Um which I would say those are the weakest parts of the show for me. Uh, I think there's five pretty good episodes of this season and then like three kind of like okay episodes. Um, the Mandalorian himself uh, as the titular character is pretty cool um, for a Boba Fett ripoff that it seemed like, <laughs> I don't know, it seems like John Favreau wanted to make a Boba Fett show and they told him he couldn't. So he's like, fine, I'll make somebody who looks like Boba Fett. Um, yeah. And uh, I would say, like, standout characters for me are a lot of the supporting characters. Um, I think Baby Yodes is really cool. Uh, but I really enjoy IG-11. Uh, I really enjoy Nick Nolte's Queel, the Ugnaught, but mostly just because I like Nick Nolte. Um, yeah. And uh, Gina Carano's character is really cool, Cara Dune. Uh, but I really like the villain, even though we haven't gotten a whole lot of him. I'm looking forward to where the future goes with Giancarlo Esposito. Uh, from Breaking Bad, because that dude could stand there and say nothing, and he's very, very scary. Yeah, um, just an intimidating figure. They cast oh, yeah. a really See, good, seeing him uh, standing a really there in an imperial uniform was like terrifying. So yeah, for sure. Um, really cool action set pieces. They just tried to do you know like a quick adventure of the week, like fun stuff each time, which I respected. I think it was. This is probably one of the Star Wars properties that almost everyone agrees on since the Disney, since The Force Awakens almost. Right. Um, probably since Return of the Jedi, if we're being really honest, though. Um, yeah, I don't know. I liked it. It's, I mean, it's not the greatest television show I've ever seen, but it's a really cool part of Star Wars lore now. And I think it's probably one of the better properties that they've done um, with, with storytelling for Star Wars. Hmm. So... Um, yeah, I'm a little bit more down on it than, than you are. And that it seems to be, I'm a little bit more on the downside than most people on the internet. Um, I wholeheartedly would not give this a 95. Like if we're on the Radiovania patented 20 points, I would settle somewhere in the seven, maybe dipping into the six area because I think that the show is just the biggest problem with the show is that it's just wildly inconsistent. Um, it's very inconsistent. And also, almost, no, I'll let you finish. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I got to I, I was going to say complaint. Right. I, almost each episode of the show is directed by somebody different. Um, they only had a couple ones that are like the same person. Like they had 
the the woman director that's going to be doing the Obi-Wan film, and then they had uh, Taika Waititi do two episodes of the show. No, he I only did other, one. He only did one? I thought he came yeah, back so, for uh, the redemption. No, so they did um, – they had – let me add this up real quick. They had five total directors, and three of them directed two episodes. Gotcha. Dave Filoni directed the first one and the Tatooine episode. Rick Famayua directed the second one and the heist episode. Deborah Chow directed the two episodes that I liked the most, which are The Sin and um, Chapter 7, which name escapes me. And then Bryce Dallas Howard did the farming episode, the one-off with the ATST, and Taika did the finale. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it's like, as much as I like you know, in a lot of shows like you know, like Game of Thrones or like Breaking Bad, they would give multiple episodes in a season to different creative visions to to ha- to direct the episodes. But they all maintained a consistent tone, and that's my biggest problem with The Mandalorian is that the tone is just all over the place. I don't know what it wants to be. Like it sometimes it wants to be like a really dark, gritty bounty hunting movie. Other times it wants to be like the lone wolf and cub, very sentimental story. Sometimes it wants to be, like you said, a video game side quest movie where there's a prison block breakout, a heist movie is in there somewhere. A, you know, like a nature preserve documentary is in there at some point, I think. Uh, <laughs> and then there's the, the general theme of star Wars sprinkled throughout. And, you know, I will agree with you. I think that, I think that the show starts really strongly and ends really strongly but the middle is. I think I I definitely agree with you that the middle chapters are, are the the most unwatchable parts of the show, and, yeah, and, and the, least rewatchable. Yeah, the like thing you is, could is probably that, skip them if you wanted to. That was what I was gonna say. Is that for most shows, you know, like there are. I'm trying to think. Like Breaking Bad is one of my favorite shows of all time. But there are a few episodes and a few seasons where. You know, they're not like the hottest things ever. Like they're probably like a 70 percent while the rest of the show maintains that consistent 90. But mm-hmm. in the Mandalorian's case, I honestly to I, sw- I honest to God think that if I was going to recommend the show to like my mom who like likes Star Wars, but also doesn't watch every Star Wars thing, I would say watch one, two and three and then skip to seven and watch chapter seven and chapter eight. Because not only do four, five, and six are they just like a little bit less exciting and engaging, they don't progress the main plot of the story at all. And so that really hurt them for me. Like they didn't have any sort of, other than the introduction of um, Kara, is that her name? Kara? Yeah, I think you have, to, I think the only ones you can actually skip would be five and six. Um, I think you can skip Tatooine and you can skip the heist one. But I think you have to watch the the sanctuary because that's where you meet Cara Dune, and it's also the most horniest episode of television I've ever seen. <laughs> the sexual tension, <laughs> the sexual tension between um, Mando and uh, Omera or whatever her name is. I think that I I mean I sli- I disagree. I don't think that I I mean I like Gina Carano or whatever. I liked her character okay enough in the last two episodes, but like. They give you her introduction again in chapter seven when they go back to that same fucking bar. You know what I mean? That's true. She like, gets like the, really the Raiders need- <laughs> of the Lost Ark uh, Marion introduction. Like yes. Yeah. And so 
I think you watch the first 10 minutes of chapter four until you get to Baby Yoda drinking soup just so you can get the meme and then skip. Yeah, yeah, uh, dude. Great meme. But here's the, here's the thing, and I, 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 read, I, I read this online, so I can't take credit for it, but this is what I was thinking the entirety of the show is that I watched it with uh, my girlfriend Carly, and she enjoyed it too about as much as I did. Like I think she has shared a lot of the same criticisms that I did with the show, but – I read online someone said something incredibly apt where they said there's two shows happening while I'm watching The Mandalorian. The show number one is The Mandalorian. It's a gritty samurai western thing about this bounty hunter. And then uh, there's show B and it's the Baby Yoda show. And (laughs) the Mandalorian part of the show is okay at best. It's got some interesting action and some cool scenery and, you know, set design and stuff. But then the Baby Yoda show is 10 out of 10 Oscar worthy. Give it all the Emmys that you want. Like I could watch a super cut of all of Baby Yoda's stuff and uh, arguably better than the entire show on a whole. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Just the fact that that puppet looks so good and so real and the way that they were able to make it a moat, I think that's like – that's the star of the show is that they they created the maybe the most lovable Star Wars character of all time now. He's up there. He's definitely up there. This is – the past couple years have been like which – what can can Star Wars out-cued itself? You know what sure. I mean? Sure. So oh, it's yeah. like It's like let's go from BB-8 to the Porks to – freaking um baby yoda and then babu frick and then bd1 and it's like all this stuff is like piling on each other it's too much it's too much to handle the difference is is that with mandalorian they didn't create merch for it right out the gate to keep this like secret or at least my theory is that i don't know if they knew exactly what they had in terms of like popular culture Mm -hmm. but every episode a new baby yoda meme surfaced like there was a yeah. new meme for each episode and i was like can they keep doing this and they were able to do it all the way up until the end and uh yeah to me i'm just so excited to see how they use that character in the second season and i so hope to god that more of the plot and more of the show is dedicated like i hope they learn some lessons from this first season and that they you know they could use a little trimming around the fat like maybe we don't need to be an eight se- episode season like I would have been fine with five or six episodes that are just a little bit longer, that are a little bit more concise and focused on a sense, like a specific plot. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I think that, that would have been much more enjoyable for me. But overall, I, I, I didn't regret watching it. I think it's, I think if you're a Star Wars fan, it's a must watch. Um, but I so just, let me I, add, I had a couple problems. Let me ask you this. We're going to do quick spoiler territory for like the next minute. Um, yeah. In the last episode, the, the person who makes the armor tells Mando that his quest is to now find baby Yoda's home and get him back to his own kind. Right. Is that how the show ends? Is he, cause I don't know if the show can continue after baby Yoda isn't part of it. Right. I agree a hundred percent. So like, cause like the, it's the same with the last of us. Like the show should be about the relationship of those two characters. So I think that's the, that's gotta be the series arc, right? Not the story of season two. Yeah, I think uh, uh, the biggest question to me is what is their vision for this show like going forward? I think that – and we'll talk about this with Rise of Skywalker, but a big problem that people have with the, the sequel trilogy is that there wasn't like a, consi- a a vision, like a plan set in place in the very beginning for where it's going to go. 
But I get the sense that Favreau and the creative team that sat down to pe- like to storyboard the first season had an idea of where they maybe want the show to end eventually. And so, God, I hope that this is like if it doesn't end after season two, I really hope it ends after maybe season three because I just don't know how long you can drag this out without coming to some sort of grand conclusion for these characters. Gotcha. So, yeah, I do think that Mando and Baby Yoda are intrinsically tied to this show's success. Like, mm-hmm. that's that's the hook. Like, the hook is much like The Last of Us and much like Logan. The hook here is old, wise gunslinger protects young baby of great importance. And I think that once that storyline is wrapped up, I'm I'm checking out after that yeah Yeah. personally that's how i feel but what about you um i think you're right um i don't know if i would consider mando wise though (laughs) that's my only (laughs) sure i think he's he's an idiot in some parts Um, i think he's a freaking idiot like if i need a guy in a fire (laughs) (laughs) if i if i need a guy in a firefight i'll take mando because like he kicks ass um, when he fights people. But the problem is, is he keeps putting himself in these stupid situations where he's risking his life and baby Yoda's life more importantly, yeah. um, unnecessarily. And here are a couple things that Mando, if you're listening, please do this in season two. All right. <laughs> Recommendation number one, stop leaving the fucking ship open. You leave the ramp yeah. down wherever you go. And you know, average Joe Schmo just walks in and then pulls a blaster on you or the Jawas come and steal all your parts because you left it on. Right. Get some, get some defense measures or at least like an alarm or something for it. Um, recommendation number two, stop talking to your old contacts from when you were a murderer because they probably don't like you anymore. Um, probably much murders. Yeah. Pretty much just stop walking into traps. Like it's pretty obvious that when grief cargo invites you back, after you shot him in the chest that he's probably going to try and double cross you. Um, yeah. It worked out all right for you, I guess, but come on, dude, like you gotta be smarter than this. Um, yeah. Every time he left baby Yoda on the ship, I, like either me or Carly or, or a combination of both of us were like, why did you leave him on the ship? <laughs> Which he does. He does in chapters five and six. And that's why those chapters suck. Um, oh yeah. He's just like, I gotta go do my own adventure. I'm going to leave you here with a random person. You know, in yeah. chapter five, it's that annoying lady on Tatooine. And then in chapter oh, six, God. it's it's the evil killing droid <laughs> again. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's what I would recommend to you, Mando. Take a, take a page out of out of a good old textbook, you know. Yeah. Use your head. Yeah, we'll right? see. Quit, quit we'll thinking see. with your blaster and your penis. Use your head. <laughs> 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 that's good and on that uh, note let's talk about fallen order <laughs> <laughs> all right well we don't have to spend too much time on fallen order um but i rolled credits last night uh yeah. after about relatively brisk maybe 18 hours 15 okay. to 18 hours of gameplay i i, I couldn't find like a game clock in the it's actual short. game so I, it's a kind of short game yeah, it's definitely on the shorter end of the spectrum, um, which isn't a problem because there's a lot of side quests and backtracking and a lot of, you know, collectibles to find if you're into that sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, by the time that I was finished with the entire game, 
I was, you know, I'm on the holodeck and I looked at each one of the planets and it was like 70% complete, 60% complete, 80% complete. And I was like, wow, there's still like quite a bit of game left here if I wanted to, you know, dive in and find it. So yeah. I actually just but, loaned my copy to my friend that I play X-Wing with, so I, I, I'm not going to be able to go and platinum it for a little bit. But Are you going to go um, for the plat? Uh, maybe. I don't know. That Jedi Master difficulty seems like it'd be really hard. <laughs> right. uh, I thought the game on normal difficulty was challenging enough. It's a lot more combat heavy than I thought it was going to be, um, yeah. which is fine. It it's is. Nice, I like games that challenge me, you know. Yeah. Um, but I also like Uncharted and the last of us and those don't challenge me anymore so um it is it through and through it is a it's a dark souls bloodborne type game mm -hmm. like that's what it is at the heart of it and so yeah i i was i was expecting the difficulty to be there but um yeah there were a few segments that really did give me a, a fair bit of trouble that i was not yes. expecting um yeah i still I would think say... that bloodborne it, is a harder game like all the oh, souls games i've played are harder sure. but yeah well there's significantly less boss fights in, in this right. game compared to that um yeah dude I, we could talk about story in a little bit in terms of gameplay i think the combat system is so fun and it's it's like it's fun to like mix dark souls and god of war but with a star wars skin on it i, I was a bit right. i dug that um quite a bit i think that the the uncharted puzzle solving type aspect was really cool um, with the force as well as just um you know how how it looked i think it looked really cool is i i think you know having a next gen star wars game on this console that's story based is really cool to finally have yeah yeah i i, I thoroughly enjoyed the gameplay it was it it felt you felt like you were using your lightsaber adequately like you, you didn't feel like you know all the force powers worked really well I, I did, it didn't feel clunky at all. It felt very smooth. You felt you feel like a Jedi. I mean, it sounds cliche to say it, but it's like you really do feel like you're using all these powers and you know ch chaining them all together in the right ways. When you take down someone and you've done all the right things, you feel like a kind of a badass. And, oh yeah, uh, yeah. I, I really, love the. I feel like a badass stuff. when I push people off of the cliff <laughs> with yeah. the force. Awesome. I love that there's a trophy for that too. If you push like 40 or 50 people off, you get a trophy. Love it. Um, but yeah, story stuff we'll talk about in just a sec. But my favorite part about the game, honestly, if I had to give like one specific favorite thing, is the 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 design of the planets. Um, mm. It takes you to a lot of places that we've never been. The only one that we've been to recently has been like Kashyyyk. Yeah, they go to Mirror in the Clone Wars show. Oh, really? Yep. Um, but That's yeah. where Darth so Maul it, is from. Oh, well, that makes sense with all of the uh, the Darth Maul-looking motherfuckers in the cave. There you go. Look at you. Uh, um, but yeah, no, I just loved how everything was designed, like how everything looked. Like there's crash starfighters everywhere, and like everything looks kind of like run down and it's just very pretty. It's a very pretty game, and the, and the little touches that they made to the world, like there were a lot of moments where you know I would just stop and look around and be like, wow, this looks really really good. I like the way this planet. Each planet feels unique. Uh, there's very little recycled environment stuff, and I think that there, a lot of attention to detail was put into the environment stuff. And so yeah, that what was your favorite island. planet to visit. Oh boy, I really. Oh yikes! Uh, what is the one where um, 
at the very end of the planet, you slide down an ice thing and you get to like a crashed Star Destroyer. Mm. Zepho. Zepho. Yeah. I really enjoyed Zepho. I thought that planet would look yeah. very pretty. It's like windy as hell. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like Zepho. That's probably my favorite. Uh, it was cool to go to Kashyyyk, though. It was yeah. Really cool. Kashyyyk was cool. Yeah. It just it looks was... really gross, though. <laughs> well, <laughs> like... I mean, it's it's war. It, you know, like the Clone Wars and the Galactic Civil War have destroyed its environment. So. Right. Yeah, it's kind of sad to see, but I really enjoyed being on Kashyyyk, both for the aspect of, um, you know, returning right after the Clone Wars and seeing all those cool Easter eggs, as yeah. well as uh, running into a character that I really enjoy that we'll talk about. Save the, the Rebellion! Uh, you spoiled it. <laughs> no, nah, that, that was in a trailer before the game came out. It was? Yeah. Oh, see, I didn't see the trailer with him in it, so when he oh, really? shows up on your... ATAT, I was like, I lost my mind. I was like, pull it! <laughs> <laughs> Lies! Deception! <laughs> yeah. Uh, pull it, but, you know the truth. Well, I don't know how much you want to dive into the story here on I just Fallen want to see if you liked it. Um, yeah, I mean, overall, I think the game is really excellent. I, I think my st- still my favorite game I played in my favorite game that came out in 2019 that I played was probably Death Stranding. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was interesting playing these two games back to back because Death Stranding is all about the, a really intricate story. And as as I thought that Fallen Order had a really, really compelling, a compelling narrative, um, I felt like the climax was a little weak um, in Fallen Order. Really? Uh, well... Did you know he was going to show up? I didn't know that he was going to show up. Okay, because uh, I didn't either, yes. and I thought that was amazing. <laughs> I, I did think it was cool, but like spoilers I felt like Spoilers from here on out. Let's just talk yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, spoilers from here on out. I yeah. felt like, you know, th- I liked what was happening, but I, I like, when the credits came up, I was like, that's it? I was like, I thought we were going to, like, keep going. Like, there's, like, w- the whole plot device of the game is destroyed in the very last cutscene, and i was like mm-hmm. so what what the fuck were we doing they can on this sequelize planet? It. like that's their plan yeah no i'm fine with them sequelizing it but yeah. i i just felt like because of the way that it and it also the game ends and then after you roll the credits it takes you back to before the events of the game so you can't like you can't go back to the star destroyer planet and like face the the thing again like unless you start a new game um and it just felt like, just it was just anticlimactic in my opinion. Like I thought okay. that he was badass. Like I loved the fight with the second sister, and I thought that Sears' intervention was really cool. And obviously the Darth Vader moment was really standout, and I didn't see it coming. But just as like as a story of the story of this Jedi outcast, basically that's trying to like rebuild this order, I felt like they just didn't follow through with that premise at all. Mm-hmm. And I know that they're setting this up to be a sequelized game, but I was really hoping for more of a conclusion. Like, I don't know. That's just personally, that's how I felt about the game. But overall, man, like I just had so much fun playing it. And I think that, you know, so many of the side characters are so excellently written. Like I loved Greece. I love Sierra. Yeah. I thought that the I can't remember her name, but the the witch girl I think was kick ass. Yeah, it was like Marin or something like that. 
something like that. But yeah, the Night Sister. Yeah, I really liked all the side characters. I liked you know building your lightsaber. To me, the standout moment was when you get the double bladed lightsaber. <laughs> like that was the climax. For that me. part's really cool. My favorite part of the game um, is when you are on Ilum. And you have to go find a new lightsaber crystal because yours is broken or, or I can't remember how exactly it happened. But yeah. my favorite part of the game is when you find out that um, that like BD had his memory wiped, you know what I mean, in order yeah. to keep the secret and stuff like that. And that whole thing I thought was really emotional because I really enjoyed the relationship between Cal and BD1. And then right after that is when you pick your new lightsaber crystal, even though you get all of them. Yeah. Um, that part was dope. Uh, yeah, I think, that, I think that's the emotional nail in the coffin for me in that part. I think the Darth Vader thing at the end is dope. I had no idea it was coming, and when you hear that breath behind the second sister, I was like, "Oh shit! <laughs> like this is about yeah. to get really bad." I thought everyone was going to die, and it was going to end like Rogue One. Um, so I was kind of surprised that everyone lived by the end, yeah. with well, the, the exception the- of the second sister. Yeah, right. I mean, the the funny thing about this game is, and this universe and as a whole, like the Fallen Order universe they're setting up, is that eventually, because this takes place between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope, right? Yeah, this is only like five years after Revenge of the Sith. Right. So yeah. eventually, we're going to get to a place where these characters can't exist in our current canon. So like... I don't know. That's a nitpick that I don't really. I, I understand why that has to. You know, you can't. You can't change the past. You can't change the future. You can't change. Like, there's no. Unfortunately for Rise of Skywalker, there's no time travel in Star Wars, mm. and. Uh, um, so the, at some point, Cal has to die because he can't interact with, you know, Luke and you know, other Jedi and stuff. Or can he? Unless. Or what? Or can he? Or can he? I guess that's, you know. What if Fallen Order, the series, can span over the course of the original trilogy concurrently, where they are exploring the unknown reaches of the galaxy and are not part of the Rebel Alliance? And then we get a final Fallen Order game that has Cal and Luke hanging out post-Return of the Jedi, trying to plot out the New Order. Yeah, and then and then he gets killed by freaking Kylo Ren or something. I I don't know. I I think that that's the exciting thing to me is that even though I felt like the the actual plot narrative the, the narrative of the game and the way that it concludes was a little anticlimactic, but I get that it's setting up for a sequel, which mm-hmm. we can expect in a few years, three or four years. Um, yeah. but it's. You know, I think that they're going to try and make an effort to distance themselves a little bit from our holy trinity, right? Like, I, like I think that. it's going to be. I'm cool with that. I think it's going like to be a lot of. I would like to fight Darth Vader at some point, though. That was the other thing too. Is I was like, I was really hoping to continue fighting Vader, but it really doesn't let you. Like, you kind no, of fight him you. for a little bit. And then, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, he wrecks you. So, I would. I turned around a couple times to try and see if I could fight him, and uh, I died a lot. Yeah. I was really hoping that you would get to at least fight him for a while before BD does the whole like short circuit him or whatever. But I get why they didn't. Like he's the most powerful Jedi in the in the galaxy, so it makes sense that mm-hmm. you know. But yeah, all in all, a solid game. I think if you're a Star Wars fan, this is a must play. It's the best Star Wars video game I think ever made. 
yeah. my opinion. I think that I agree. what it does story-wise, what it does character-wise, gameplay-wise, uh, it's it's just very fresh. It feels very Star Wars. Um, and also in a very un-EA move, it is there's like no there's no microtransactions, there's no loot boxes or loot crates. Yeah. So in fact, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, I think it was yesterday or the day before. EA uh, just they pushed out an update for the game that you can download right now on your console or platform of choice that unlocks all the pre-order bonuses for free for all people that have the game. Wow. Um, so it comes with like a color lightsaber that's new, a skin for BD, a skin for the Mantis, um, a couple lightsaber hilts and, and stuff like that. And uh, you can just get them for free. That's awesome. Yeah. So... Yeah, play fall two, thumb, two thumbs way up. Go play Fall in Order. Yeah, good time. All right. The creme de la creamy. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do this. Uh, the, yeah. Let's take Let's... one last look. <laughs> At my Star friends. Star Wars for the day. <laughs> uh, Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, released mm-hmm. on December 18th, 2019, uh, Rated PG-13 at a running time of two hours and 22 minutes. Uh, A production budget that is unknown at the current time. They haven't released $500 million. It's got to be. It's got to be. This movie is expensive. (laughs) Definitely expensive, but the highest... They had to afford a huge crane to suspend somebody in the air. (laughs) Um, I think the highest budgeted movie of all time is still avatar and even that was only 380 million so i would assume that this clocks in around there maybe a little less i mean avengers endgame was like 375 370 or something like that Mm -hmm. so it's like you don't have to pay all these huge name actors for rise of skywalker which is a lot of times where your budget goes i don't know they had to spoilers they had to pay harrison ford again so yeah that's not cheap no not cheap at all but Mm -hmm. uh yeah so domestic 482 million international 519 million for a total worldwide gross so far of 1 billion 2 million 269,000 um it was uh yeah, it officially crossed the billion dollar mark as of January 15th. Um, it's interesting, though, I'm reading this from Variety. Um, it took significantly longer to reach that milestone than previous Star Wars installments. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rise of Skywalker from J.J. Abrams passed the milestone in 28 days. By comparison, it took Abrams' The Force Awakens 12 days and Ryan mm-hmm. Johnson's The Last Jedi 19 days. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also the first Star Wars film ever, if I'm not mistaken, that didn't receive an A rating cinema score from moviegoers, which is a service I don't typically use, but is still interesting to to look at now and then. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Rise of Skywalker, the, the end of the saga, as they were marketing it as, um, came out to a very, very divisive... Uh, reaction from most people right now it's on rotten tomatoes there's a 52 percent critic recommendation and an 86 percent audience recommendation um, mm-hmm. and we saw it i've seen it twice now i've also seen it twice okay um 
What did you think, John, now that we've had time to dissect and digest? I still haven't had enough time, I think, to be able to speak about this as like <laughs> as like a definitive conversation about it, you know, because like we can talk about the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy pretty definitively because we've had decades with those movies. Um but right now in this Disney era, I, I kind of after the Rise of Skywalker, I'm kind of lost in the weeds a little bit on like where I stand on it as a whole, and like you know I don't hate it. I think they're better than the prequel movies, a majority of all the Disney movies, if not all of them. Um, however, I was really hoping that this one would unite the fan base, and it didn't, and that's kind of got me down because um, it also initially was disappointing for me the night that we saw it um and then it sunk in a little more and then i realized that i was overreacting about a lot of things and then i saw it again and some of those things didn't quite bother me as much but there are some plot holes that i think are pretty jarring in this movie um however it's a very fun action movie it's definitely not as bad as the critics are saying that it is uh i think critics are extremely harsh on this in the same way that i think some fans were extremely harsh on the last jedi Um, Right. I think uh, something interesting to remember, and I know that you and I talk about this pretty frequently, but, you know, a lot of people these days, a lot of, you know, casual people or people that are into movies will use Rotten Tomatoes as a litmus test, right, as to what they want, like, to how good a movie is. And we have to remember that a 52% tomato score is not 52% bad. It's 52% of people that saw it recommend it. And when you think about it that way, it's like half and half. Half of the critics don't recommend it. Half of the critics recommend it. And I think that, you know, it, oftentimes a movie that has a more, dis, uh, like w- when there's a disparity between the, critic score the user score and a a disparity between what the review is for critics a lot of times i rub my hands together and go oh boy this could go one of two ways i could really hate it or i could be really into it because you know i feel like i i fall in line with some critics but not others and you know you obviously form your own opinions about star wars and about you know fiction and nonfiction in general but um i don't know this is such an interesting movie to, to to discuss because there's so many different aspects of the film that are, I think it has a lot of highs and I think that it definitely has a lot of lows. Um, to me, I think it's the it's far and away more entertaining than in terms of just the sequel trilogy. I think it's far and away more entertaining for me to watch than Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. Um, I still think that The Force Awakens takes the cake in terms of blending nostalgia with excitement and new storytelling. Um, Leans pretty heavily on homages from A New Hope, but I think that the way that that movie is paced is just so flawless. And I think that the pacing of The Rise of Skywalker is its biggest detriment. Mm, I would agree. Um, yeah, if I had to put this on the patented Radiovania 20-point scale, I would sit somewhere at an 8, maybe an 8.5 for me for Rise of Skywalker. Uh-huh. I think I would give it a 7. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it's still a good movie. Um, yeah. I think 
I really want to see the documentary about how this sequel trilogy <laughs> was made. I really want to see it because uh, I bet you that thing is really interesting. I, I guarantee you that there is a completely in if the world existed as a multiverse like in DC Comics on Earth 2, I bet you their Star Wars sequel trilogy is way different, um, like way different. And uh, I don't know. There are some things about this movie that I think are really cool, really fun. Um, and then there are things about this movie that I was like, really, that's that's the that's the thing that you came up with when you had all of these story executives in a room right. being like, we have to unite the fan base and this is how it's going to happen. It's like, I, I don't know about that. Yeah. So, yeah, let's talk I think about a couple of the elephants in the room. Yeah. And you elephants. and I can just do let's just do. Thumbs up, thumbs down on whether it works for us personally. Okay. Does that sound good? All right. Yeah. I'm, I'm, First, in, I'm excited to see where you're going with this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. First thing, thumbs up, thumbs down. Ray being Emperor Palpatine's granddaughter. Um, first time I saw it, thumb to the sideways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I you're was a little indifferent. Avoiding the question. <laughs> Uh, I don't think it's bad. Like, I think it's an interesting choice. I think it makes sense given the entire, the aspect of this movie that, again, like we'll talk about here in a sec, that edited, like the, the pacing of the movie kind of dampens a little bit is the question of Ray goes from feeling like she, in seven, she has this grand purpose to an eight, realizing that she doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. And then to episode nine, where she finds out that she is related to a powerful figure and is intrinsically tied to the force, but it's also like realizing that your grandfather was Hitler. (laughs) And so, so she has this interesting moral dilemma of, do I embrace the heritage, the bloodline that's inside of me, or can I build something better? And so the first time I saw it, thumb to the sideways, I was like, this is fine. This is interesting, I guess. But the second time I saw it, I'm going to give it a thumbs up because I like the payoff very much, like especially the second time. Like the the second the second time seeing the movie, the whole ending of, you know, calling out to the Jedi and, you know, who are you and all that stuff. I, f- I found that much more satisfying the second time after I had a little bit of time to digest. Okay. I also like the climax, but I'm thumbs down on making her related to Palpatine. I think overall, um, right. it just it just felt kind of cheap to me, to be honest with you. It felt like they had to come up with the reason for him to be there, um, and I would have been totally fine with him coming back from the dead and not being related to Ray, just being there because he's inherently evil. I think that's kind of like that's kind of all you need to know about Palpatine. He's pretty much a one note villain as it is. Right. Um, but I mean, like, I get what they went for. It's not like the worst decision they've ever made in Star Wars, but it just doesn't really work for me. Because um, I like, unlike I think what you just said, I think the cool thing about her storyline up until this movie was she's not entirely sure what her lineage is, and she, you know, the Force awakens inside of her, and she's right. trying to find out if she plays a bigger part in this galaxy. And then uh, the way I interpreted The Last Jedi is you find out that she's not related to anybody, but that doesn't make you any less important to the galaxy. You know what I mean? So it's like Kylo Ren tells her, like, you come from nobody, you're nothing, but not to me. You know what I mean? So it's like 
it's you can make your own way in the same way that Finn has to make his own way in the galaxy and you know all that kind of stuff. So um, having them double back on it to make her related to Palpatine to you know tie up loose ends for the people that complained that she was too powerful in the Force Awakens for no reason is kind of how I interpreted it. It's like oh if we make her related to Palpatine, it justifies why she was able to beat Kylo Ren on Starkiller Base. Um, I don't know. It just didn't work for me as well. But it's not, again, not the worst decision. <clears throat> Jar Jar. Right. Um, oh, yeah. There's many so. worse things in the Star Wars universe. But, uh, John, before we go on, can you can you give me a theme song for Conspiracy Corner, a new segment on Radio, Radio Vania? <laughs> Conspiracy Corner. Mm, a, like a jingle? Yeah, give me a jingle. Oh, boy. Um, I, I, I'm coming up empty. Maybe next episode. <laughs> Okay. Well, this week on Conspiracy Corner, um, the apparently – take this with a fucking huge-ass grain of salt, but uh, Colin Trevorrow's version of the Star Wars script has partially leaked online. Oh, yeah. I read it. Um, yeah. And uh, one of the things that they talk about in which – Trevorrow's episode 9, his draft – the draft that is leaked – was finished in December 2016 was the was when the the this draft was was completed during, yeah during the filming of the last Jedi yeah a, a week before the passing of Carrie Fisher mm-hmm. um and one of the big things in his script that differs is that uh Kyle Ray's parents were nobody but mm-hmm. the twist was going to be that Kylo Ren killed her parents uh-huh and uh, I I'm kind of it. don't like that. <laughs> really? I like no. it. No, I don't if like you that. you tell me why he killed him. Yeah, I guess. But I like the – I think my favorite thing, as most people will say about this sequel trilogy, is the relationship between Kylo Ren and Rey. And I think that the tension between the two of them, that's, that's like – you know, there's a little bit of sexual tension. There's a little bit of, you know, there's a lot of emotional tension between the two of them. And I think that, I think that him just turning right around and being just bad, bad and murdering her parents and still having that connection, I think, I think it's just complicated. And I don't know how to feel about that. Mm. But well, we'll never know. This was never made. Yes. Yep. Um, so it doesn't matter. All right, what's your so next thumbs up, thumbs down? Next thumbs up, thumbs down. The redemption of Ben Solo and how it was handled. Okay. I think you're asking a two-part question. Redemption of Ben Solo, in theory, thumbs up. Mm, yes. How it, how it was handled. Uh, I definitely think that they rushed some elements, and I would have liked to have seen... Honestly, I would have liked to have I would have liked for an extra 15 to 20 more minutes just focused on Kylo Ren. Um, Me too. I think he wasn't in enough for this movie. I agree. Mm-hmm. He's like a looming force that's always in the background, but he doesn't speak in the third act and that really bothers me. Um I he think says, though that he does say ow. Academy really Award, well. Yeah, really, really well. <laughs> He says Al very well. Mm-hmm. But I think that the payoff to me visually of the force object transference or however we're going to call it, whatever force power we're calling that. Yeah. Um, 
as people on Twitter are now dubbing it the hashtag Ben Solo challenge, where mm-hmm. you pull something out from behind your back and then shrug. <laughs> I think that that visual was so hype for me that I was I was like I got a lot of the message that they were trying to convey about his redemption through visual and you know as we talked about with Watchmen I like it when movies don't treat you like an idiot and have to spell everything out with dialogue I like that a lot of Ben Solo's redemption is what he does not necessarily saying what he's going to do does that make sense Yeah that's fair so in that aspect, thumbs up. But yes, I would have I would have gone for more more Ben Solo in this film, 100. Mm-hmm. percent Yeah, because I think he's probably the best character of the new the new movies. Um, Agreed. What What was my next question going to be? Hold on. Oh, Babu Freak, thumbs up. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, sure, Babu Freak, thumbs up. Thumbs, thumbs up. Down. I'm a, yeah, I'm good with it. Um, <laughs> it is ready. <laughs> Ky, uh, all right, here we go. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Kylo and Ray kissing. Um, I controversial, but I'm gonna go thumbs up. Oh my god! Because, <laughs> like I said before, one of the things that I thought was an, one of the things that Ryan Johnson did that I I really liked was making giving Ray and Kylo this weird like sexual romantic attraction where it's like that adds to me of the the ambiguity of Ray being you know compelled to join the dark side because she actually there's like something about the two of them that they're they're linked together whether that be through the emperor or whatever but Diane yeah they're linked together and I really liked that you know they had this like blossoming it's like i don't know it's there's go I, i'm drawing a blank on like old shakespeare plays but wasn't there it's like the montagues and the capulets you know what i'm saying <laughs> it's like one side's in love with the other side and they can't really do much about it but if there's st- it's like that it's like forbidden love you know and so kylo having one moment of happiness before he officially passes into the force and you know I thought I think, it was fine. Certainly I think he more than Finn and Rose kissing. Sure, but I think I think he also could have just brought her back to life and had his moment of happiness where he smiles and then dies. I don't. I think the kiss was extremely awkward. I didn't like it. I mean, those are, those two are both really good actors, and their chemistry is incredible in these movies. But that payoff, I think, is. Mm, I don't really like it that much. That seemed like they were trying to feed the internet for all the Raylo shippers out there. Um, Raylo shippers. What's that's the yeah. most woke thing you've said. Thank you. I listen to the children. <laughs> um, okay. Let me, we're going to rapid fire. So just do thumbs up, thumbs down, but no explanations for them. Ready? Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to put my foot in my mouth. No, no, no. Just the first thing that pops in your head. Thumbs up, thumbs down, and then we go to the next one. Okay, you ready? Huck's being the spy. Thumbs down. (laughs) Sorry, I can't stop laughing. It's so funny. Uh, Usage of C-3PO. Wait, you're not going to give yours? (laughs) Oh, sorry, I'm thumbs thumbs down on it, too. Okay, cool. Yep. Thumbs down on it. Usage of C-3PO. Thumbs way up. Yep, I agree. Thumbs up all the way. 
Um, the space battle. Ah, uh, uh, thumbs down. Yeah, I don't think it was as epic as I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I um, think that. I think that again. Sorry, I'm I'm expounding, but that's fine. in the same year that we also had Endgame, where we have the portal scene and Avengers assemble, they basically tried to recreate that exact same feeling in this. And I just, it wasn't there. Um, I was much more excited about what was happening with Ray and Palpatine and with like our characters. I wasn't necessarily super thrilled that just random ships showed up. <laughs> it's like, just, people. just didn't do it. Yeah. It's just people. I liked, I liked that aspect of it. I liked, the, I like the just concept. People line. Yeah. 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 Um, Lando covers in. Uh, I'm going to have to unfortunately say thumbs to the side. I was, I was wondering how you were going to feel about him. This is your boy. Uh, yeah, no, I'm a huge Lando fan. I love Billy D Williams. It was, you know, thumbs up for him just being here and like bookending this trilogy. You know, he's in return of the Jedi and now he's in rise of Skywalker. I think that it's great to have him there. He adds a certain presence. Um, it's like a warm blanket right. covered in Colt 45. <laughs> That's a sticky blanket. Uh, I I just unfortunately wish that he would have had a more intrinsic addition to the plot other than him just being the guy that radios out to the other ships. Like that to me was just a little weak sauce. I thought it was interesting. I kind of like it actually. And here's why I'm going to expound on it. I'm breaking my own rule. Um, I think it's interesting. I think if it's like, if you're like, all right, Chewbacca has to take one person around the galaxy to convince the most amount of people to help defeat the Empire, who is the most persuasive and charismatic person in Star Wars. Sure. I think I think it's Lando. You know what I mean? Right? No question. Like there's no, no way question. that Lando didn't just fly around with Chewie for like a couple hours before the battle and like call up all of his ex lovers <laughs> just be like, I'm calling in a favor. <laughs> like that's, that's how I interpreted it is it's like, he's like the most likable person. Right. Cause I mean, right. not only is he really charming, but he's also really cunning. You know, he's, he's made a yeah. lot of deals. They see that you see that in solo a lot with childish Gambino's take on the character too. Um, so I think that made sense to me. I, I was kind of fine with that part, but I do agree. It seemed like a carbon copy of Endgame. Um, but yeah, nothing, nothing really new, I guess is what I'm exactly, saying. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. how I feel. Um, the ending Ray Skywalker thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs up. Okay. I'm thumbs up too. I'm cool with it. Um, Ben and Han Solo. <laughs> Thumbs way up. In fact, uh, I'm going to break the law. Two thumbs way up. I'm okay. going to break my break your law again. Um, okay. The second time I saw it, I saw it with a couple friends of mine from work, and uh, I was so anticipating that scene again because, like, the first time we saw it, we saw it at Gateway. Bless up, God bless Gateway. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, that was the moment in the movie where I, I literally had tears in my eyes, and like I had to like. I had to like clench my fists a little bit to stop myself from like actually like weeping. <laughs> and yeah. uh, just because I loved the callback to episode seven and I just love that scene so much. And so the second time I was so excited to see that scene again. And right before that scene happens is, is, you know, they come back from space and it's when they find out that Leia's dead and, and like Chewie screams and everything like that, which is, it's just all gut wrenching. Like this, this five minutes of the film is like so emotional Mm-hmm. It's and the best emotional right, part. Yeah. 
Yes. And right before this happened, one of my friends that was seeing the movie with me decided that this was the best time for him to go to the bathroom. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and so he stood up not knowing what was happening. He This is the first time he had seen it. And so he stood up to go to the bathroom, and I and I didn't realize what was happening because, like, I'd only seen it once before, so I didn't realize this was the moment. And when he, when he was down, he was already down the stairs, and I wanted to call out, like, and i wanted to like force communicate to him to like stop right now and i felt so bad because literally as soon as he was done going to the bathroom and came back into the theater was right when kylo throws the lightsaber and i was and i he he leaned over to me and he was like what did i miss and i just couldn't (laughs) stop laughing (laughs) i laughed right in his face and i felt so bad but i was just like dude you missed the best part of the movie yeah so Sorry, Dylan. <laughs> that's yeah, that's rough. Um, yeah, I, that's it. No further questions, Your Honor. No further questions. The the court rests its case. The court rests its case. Yep. And how do you how do you find the defendant, Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker, in being good? Guilty. <laughs> 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 I can't tell what you mean by that because you said it with such contempt in your voice. Um, well, I was trying to yeah, think, I like, think, like you said, how do you find it in terms of being good? So if I say it's guilty, that means it's good. If I say it's innocent, that means it's not good, right? Right. You got it right. Okay. Nailed it. So I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> it was just the comedic timing on that couldn't have been better. Yeah. And um, I think I think there's nothing else to say. <laughs> Yeah. No, I think to sum up my thoughts, I think that I thoroughly enjoyed it. My favorite part about the movie is that they it felt like a it felt like it didn't take itself super seriously throughout the whole thing where, you know, it let the movie have fun with mm-hmm. the original characters all together. Like that was my the, really the best thing about it was that it's fun, snappy JJ Abrams dialogue with um these characters that we really like seeing them work and play off of each other and, you know, stick together for a majority of it. And it really does feel like, like an old eighties sci-fi action adventure film for most of it. Like you're going to different planets, you're fighting little packs of people. Like you're on a, you're on a starship now. Now you're flying through space. You got to outsmart these people. I was, I was thoroughly entertained throughout the whole thing. And so, I am, yeah, it uh, felt like it felt like a Star Wars movie. It felt like a fun Star Wars movie. Um, yeah, which is a paradigm shift from the Last Jedi, which did not feel like a traditional Star Wars movie, um, even though I do like it as a movie. Um, and I think that I I do think that there's a lot of negativity about this movie out there, and I do think you just need to go in and enjoy it for what it is. Um, the fact that Star Wars fans treat these as if they are, you know, life or death critically acclaimed movies is comical because they they're they're ridiculous the sirens are on my end everybody out there listening oh yeah just they're like ridic- yeah Thanks they're ridiculous right up in a ditch yeah uh star wars is a ridiculous space opera you know what i mean yeah. like it's it's a story about a farm boy who hangs out with a criminal and his dog you know what i mean so it's like <laughs> yep it's there there's just they're fun whimsical they write up the explanations for how they're able to do things as they go. They always have, 
if you think about how the force works, the reason that's the best part of the force awakens is that's not how the force works. Joke can be Mm -hmm. used all the time. Um, so I think overall it's an enjoyable thing. The trilogy is enjoyable. I think as a whole, however, I don't think it links together as a whole very well in some way. I think if you had to compare one, two and three, four, five, and six, and seven, eight, nine as their own separate trilogies. This one is linked t- together the least mm-hmm. out of those three. Um, but I think those movies on their own are still all really enjoyable and pretty well-crafted in terms of visual spectacle and action set pieces and stuff. I mean, they are made by Star Wars fans, um, which is the generation that we're in now. All the Star Wars movies going forward are no longer going to be made by the guy who created it. So, yeah. If you don't like nostalgia, then you might not want to see the next couple Star Wars movies because I think a lot of them will rely on that. You know, yeah. Just watch The Mandalorian yeah. episode five, and you'll see. But even yeah, even The Mandalorian hangs on some nostalgia stuff too. Like just the fact that he's a Mandalorian is mm-hmm. nostalgia. The fact that it's he like, has the holiday oh, yeah. special rifle and yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you 120,000%. I think the biggest negative of the sequel trilogy has been the fact that it's very clear that there was no cohesive vision from the start. They, they started something and didn't know where they wanted to go with it. And they gave their second movie, the, you know, quote unquote, the empire, the middle chapter, the, the two towers, the, the, whatever you want to call it, they give their middle movie in the trilogy to a, a, a newer newish director, let him write and direct it. And he took it in a very different direction. And then JJ came back to kind of, there was a lot of course correcting in rise of Skywalker. And I'm surprised those weren't part of your thumbs up or thumbs down questions, like how they handled the last Jedi stuff, because in my opinion, I think they handled, they handled a lot of it interestingly. And I think honestly, the rise of Skywalker has, increased my enjoyment of last Jedi going forward because I really liked how they played with some of the things that Ryan Johnson introduced, but really they were just, it feels like no one, no one knew what they wanted and they were just kind of like playing, playing reaction. They were like, we'll figure it out when we get there. Like that's a problem for future me, you know, Mm -hmm. when they were dealing with these movies. And so, I'm I'm interested. I think I think you know Bob Iger has said over and over that Star Wars is going to take a hiatus after this. Like aside from the TV shows, like I think Star Wars as a film property is going to take a bit of a breather while they refigure out what they want to do with it. Um, but I really hope that they learn from some of the mistakes and that they made with this new trilogy and. Maybe we can get something wholly new and original that still feels like Star Wars. And I think I was thinking about this while I was playing Fallen Order. I was like, this would make a good movie. Yeah, it would. I was like, it really would. This would make an interesting concept and a and an interesting story that could maybe span a, a trilogy of films. Um, but I don't know. I don't know what. I don't know where Star Wars is going next. And I'm I'm interested. I'm excited. I'm a little bit skeptical. But you know. Personally, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed Rise of Skywalker and this trilogy. And uh, yeah, anyone out there that says it's worse than the prequels, you, you're smoking crack. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely smoking crack. Shout out to Michael Richard. You're smoking crack. 
The Last the Jedi new- is not a great film, but it is no way, shape, or form worse than any of the prequels. Yeah, I agree. The prequels are fun, though. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you wanna, they're fun to make you fun wanna, of. If you want to laugh and have a good time. Oh, yeah. Those movies are utterly entertaining for that purpose. Um, so, If they ever release, re-release the prequels in theater and do like a marathon, I think we should go and like live cast it. Nice. I'm in. I think that's a great idea. The, the most I've ever laughed in a movie. This is a true story. The most I've ever laughed in a movie was when I, I'm laughing thinking about it now, was when I went and saw The Phantom Menace 3D with Austin James. <laughs> because when you see that movie 3D and Austin James is the guy you're sitting next to, that movie is the, is the best comedy of all time. <laughs> oh, man. That makes me wish that I could go back and be in that theater. Oh, my goodness. Because, you, you know, Austin's got that little... <laughs> he's got, like, that little, <laughs> that little Seth Rogen chuckle. Um, but like higher pitched and like as soon the first couple lines in the movie I think as soon as new Gunray comes up and he's like oh we'll never do anything without the you know and then Austin James just could not keep it together yeah Uh, God bless that child it was yeah it was a good time come Um, back on the show Austin we miss you yeah yeah so I think the next thing we have to do sometime and we talk about it a lot so I don't know if we should wait for a long time to do this, but we should do a Skywalker saga retrospective. I would like to do that very much. Yeah. Sounds like a fun time. So we can gush about uh, Empire. <laughs> we can for gush about Empire, we can shit on Attack of the Clones, and we can give our official Radiovania rankings of the yeah, Star Wars. That's, that's what universe. I want to do. Yep. Um, I would love to do that. That would be great. But. I think that's all the time we have for today. Is that right, yeah. John? Yeah, we do. It's been a beefy show. Thank you all for listening. I'm so glad that we finally got to do this. Hopefully, I think I can speak for the both of us now that we know what we're doing in the tech world. And, you know, after I edit this and hopefully it sounds okay, that uh, going forward, we can maybe put out some more Radiovania for y'all because I miss it. Yeah, me too. And it'd be nice to do a regular, you know, once every once every now and then hopefully more consistently being able to do these calls and stuff like that that'd be great yeah but uh yeah follow us at radiovania and all the social medias follow me at zach Rotello. and if you have any questions comments and concerns email radiovania show at gmail.com connor i would love some more fan mail it's been a minute um yeah thank you for being on the show john yeah thank you and uh, i'll talk to you soon buddy and you the yeah. listeners Under NASA's Artemis program, Dynetics and Lidos will develop and build a new human landing system, advancing economic opportunities and paving the way for a sustained lunar economy. Learn more at DyneticsHLS.com. Enjoy! Thanks. The order breakfast at the McDonald's drive-thru. Tell yourself you'll wait to eat it at work, but it smells way too good. So you eat it right there in the McDonald's parking lot meal. There's a meal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, get any size iced coffee for 99 cents until 11 a.m. And pair it with your favorite breakfast sandwich or one of our tasty bakery treats. Price and participation may vary. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. McDonald's. I'm loving it.